Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> My respected friends, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us what has passed from the month of Ramadan. We are still, and we are towards the tail end of the first 10 days of the month of Ramadan, which is the days of Rahmah, the days of mercy. And inshallah, in the next few hours, we will come to the nisf, the middle of the month of Ramadan, which signifies the maghfirah, the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One may ask that we have heard about this quite often, right? First 10 days, Rahmah, second, Maghfirah, last, Itqum min al-Nar, emancipation from the fire of Jahannam. What exactly does it mean? What is its implication? What is a person supposed to do? How is it relevant to the ibadah that I do or the dua that I make in this specific period of time? Well, the ulama explain it like this, that whilst a person should exert themselves, in every moment possible in the month of Ramadan, in ibadah and dua. There should be an inclination towards a particular facet of that dua. And in the opening 10 days, inclination towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala engulfing and enshrouding me and my family and in the entire ummah with the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His mercy. And as we move to the middle 10 days, which inshallah we will experience, bi'ithnillah, with the permission of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us life and opportunity in the next few hours, the dua should still be as fervent as ever, as, as, as enthusiastic as ever. But the inclination and the bias in that dua should be towards the maghfirah and the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then as we approach the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan, the dua should still be as ecstatic and enthusiastic as ever. In fact, whilst it may be a little premature to mention the last 10 days right now, and the khatibs and the ulama that will come later on will focus about it, 
One of the salient features of Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam during those last ten days was shadda mi'zarahu that his lower garment that he would tie it. And one of the meanings of tying the lower garment would mean is that he would exert himself in work, in effort, in ibadah. Like how we have the common saying used in our terminology, he folded up his sleeves to do the work. So even he's sitting at his desk, I dumped a whole pile of work in front of him, and he was so enthusiastic and busy, he folded up his sleeves. It's not necessarily a literal interpretation of what the worker did, but it is a figurative explanation of he now reverted to the work with such enthusiasm and such desire that he, alhamdulillah, inclined and, and did it. This was the description of our Nabi wasallam as the month of Ramadan continued to progress. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be uh, exemplars of this particular, according to our standards and according to our times, alhamdulillah. In the month of Ramadan, a number of synonymous events took place in the history of Islam. In fact, in every month for that matter. From a historical point of view, we Muslims, it is unfortunate that we are not readers and we do not incline towards our own history, whether it is the first generation thereafter or even up until now for that matter. But every single day of Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the history of Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala somewhere in the world, through the medium of some resistance, through the medium of some effort, has created exemplary Muslims for the rest of us. Whether they are standing up to falsehood and batil today, tomorrow, a year from now, they remain as examples unto the entire ummah. History may not celebrate them today or tomorrow, but a time will come. And if this ummah lasts a hundred years from now, a time will come that they will be spoken about. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not destroy their memory and they will serve as an example for those who come thereafter. But the best of examples was the examples of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. The best of battles were the, were the battles that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum participated with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And of the initiations and the most spoken about of encounters was the battle of Badr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to that day as the day of Furqan. As the day of the criterion, wherein the criterion, it's a, it's a line in the sand. A line in the sand was drawn between Haq and Batil. And we'll come to that very shortly. From a historical point of view, we know the prelude, the background to the Battle of Badr. You had Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and the Sahaba radiallahu anhu persecuted in Makkatul Mukarramah, unable to practice their deen openly, unable to proclaim a call to deen. Of course, Adhan and the laws were revealed later, but unable to proclaim the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala openly. Persecuted that a number of shuhada had already reached the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Sumayya radiallahu anha. Uh, Yasir radiallahu anhu, those that were tormented during the days of Makkatul Mukarramah, As-Sabiqoon Al-Awwaloon, those who accepted Islam in the early days, whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveres and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, will always be the cream of this ummah, because when they attached themselves to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it was in the most difficult of times. Standard procedure, right? 
those who stood, stood with you in the most difficult of times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made such a system even be it in the running of a business or a company or your own wife for that matter. She stood by me when things were difficult. The relationship you will obviously have with her is different. No matter how many sweethearts may come in your, permissible sweethearts may come in your life later on. That first one who you had now attached yourself to and who was standing by you because of the difficulties of the situation there was out there will always remain in your memory. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is a prime example thereof. Khadija at the door when Hala bint Khuwaylid radiallahu anha, the sister of Khadija had knocked. And then when Aisha radiallahu anha says, why? She stood by me in the days of difficulty. Hence those that stood by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at that particular period of time. Makkatul Mukarrama, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to them as sabiqoon al-awwaloon that those of the first who stood by you, O Messenger of Allah, to even the Sahaba radiallahu one who would understand their reverence, would understand their respect. And even when they might have committed an error, a mistake, it was standard operating procedure amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that you know what, maybe it's age, maybe it's a folly, maybe it's a human error, but we will now give the person their due reverence because they came from that particular period of time. And it is our belief that every one of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, radiallahu anhum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with that. But this prelude to Badr and the demarcation and the historical significance of Badr and where a Sahabi becomes a Badri Sahabi has continually remained a discussion point in the annals of Islam. Even the muhaddisin for that matter, as part of referring to who the person is, who is the narrator of the hadith, or where you got the information was, make it a point of mentioning, kana badriyan, that he was from that particular era of time wherein he participated with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa which shows that not only the ayats in surah anfal keep the memory alive, but the historical legacy of Islam, and the way the ulama saw the compilation of the historical legacy of Islam. The fact that they consistently refer to Ashab al-Badr, Kana, Kana Badriya, he was at the time of Badr. He might not have participated, he was too young, but he belonged to that era, he belonged to that period in time. Showed a reverence and an understanding that this was no ordinary battle and no ordinary encounter. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum who migrated from Makkah to Makkah al-Mukarramah lost practically everything. They arrived in Medina al-Munawwara as refugees with the clothes on their back with the exception of maybe one or two who had business interests prior in Medina al-Munawwara that were able to salvage primarily through the medium of family means a little bit of wealth here and there. But the overwhelming majority of them, especially Sahaba radiallahu anhu like Suhaib Rumi, who did not come from either Makkah or Medina. He was what we call a metic, a person who is not necessarily a slave, but a person who has been given permission under certain circumstances in those days to work in an area, to accumulate wealth in an area. You're not from us, but we will tolerate you. Sort of like a neither citizen nor slave, uh, 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 an in-between type of an individual. So he's an example of what? 
He would have left with nothing. As the Ahadis teach us, that when he comes to Al-Mukarramah, looted by the Kuffar, and they wish to arrest him and take him back, and he stands on a hillock outside Makkah Al-Mukarramah and tells them, I'm a better archer than any one of you. So long as I've got a single arrow left in my quiver, none of you are going to be, you wish, here's a deal. Here's the deal. I will tell you where I have stored my wealth in Mecca. You go and undig it under the condition, the condition that you let me go. And nobody told Rasulullah about this. But when Rasulullah sees Suhaib one as a muhajir, as a migrant coming from Mecca to Mukarramah to Medina, Rabi al-Bay, what a great transaction. Oh, you know, oh, oh Suhaib, you're a master businessman, Suhaib. You may have lost your worldly wealth day in Mecca. Your desire for my company, your desire to be a muhajir, an emigrant, and come from Mecca to Medina and be part of Medina is the best of transactions that anybody could have ever done. You know, we ask ourselves, and sometimes I'm sure many of us might have had this nostalgic thought about ourselves, or oh, if only I was living at the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created every person for the time and the zamana that they are living in. Imagine that trade and transaction. Imagine being standing with Rasulullah at that point in time. What a great test it is. And a person should never ever be nonchalant about it by saying, you know what, I could have managed. You don't know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best upon which side of the fence a person might have been sitting or on the middle for that matter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Nonetheless, the best of time for the best of people. That was the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. The best of time for the best of people. So when they arrived in Madinatul Munawwara, penniless, using our terminology, Rasulullah said, I'm very eager that the wealth that has been usurped in Makkatul Mukarramah, being a, 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 a society, a, a, a particular society that when wealth is taken or usurped, it, it becomes part of a common pool. That, you know, we, we look at it from our perspective, capitalistic perspective, what's mine is mine, it's in my account. Tribal societies would not be like that. Even current tribal societies in the world and their examples and remnants of many of them, that it would be regarded as community wealth. A person would be allotted a small share and through that small share he would be regarded as richer or poorer than the rest. But the majority of wealth that would flow into a city would somehow be regarded as pooled wealth. So when a trade would take place or some sort of a camp to another part of the world to do business, they would use the common wealth in the interest that this common wealth procures more wealth. Think of it like a massive public investment system brings more wealth inside the city and we would all benefit therefrom. So too, the wealth that was taken away forcibly by the, for these, or you know, of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and which the kuffar, the disbelievers had usurped, had now been part of this common wealth that was now on its way to Syria to trade. And not only did it trade at the hands of a master tradesman, you've got to give him his due, Abu Sufyan was a master tradesman and there's many accounts of him being all over in many parts of the then world as a trader and as a community leader. News reached Medina to Munawwar that this caravan laden with the community wealth 
that actually a big percentage of it, if not all, needs to be taken and given back to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that lost property and houses in Makkatul Mukarramah, when it was forcibly taken away from them, it is arriving close, but not too far from Madinatul Munawwara. I won't get into the geographical aspect of exactly where it is, but let's say by today's standards, and a half, two hours driving distance from where we were. In those days, although travel was arduous and difficult, it would be a possible travel to take a decent number of people, intercept that caravan, and bring them, bring it to Madinatul Munawwara, and now recompensate the people who had been harmed monetarily by the kuffar and the disbelievers in Makkatul Mukarramah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that's what you decided. That's what you decided, O my Nabi. But I decided something else. And what I decided, Amran kana maf'ula, was such a matter that was already decreed, that you meet your enemy in such a state. On what day? The 17th of Ramadan, 2nd Hijri. That's the date of, of Badr. You meet your enemy in such a state that you were ill-prepared to take them on. But yet they, became, they, were, they were prepared to the teeth to take you on. But that's what happened. That this Abu Sufyan, let's call it his, his experience of being a traveler, noted that there's camels of Medina in the area here. As he's coming with his, you know, his, his, uh, his money and his, his trading goods. He, he's, he's not, this was what the Sahaba radiallahu anhu wanted. But as he came into the area and focusing on the intelligence of the area, speaking to one or two tribesmen, inspecting the dung of, of camels that were in the area, noticing that there were date seeds inside there, he comes to the conclusion that you know what? I'm being followed. I'm being tracked in the desert, and this is a potential ambush and a plan that has now been hatched for to take away this the wealth of this caravan. He takes an alternate route and he reaches Makkatul Mukarram. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum still being in the vicinity between Badr and between Medina to Munawwara. By the way, prior to the departure from Medina to Munawwara, Rasulullah sallallahu consulted with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Even though it was a hukam and amr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to engage and to march in Badr or to Badr with the, with the intention of the caravan, the consultation still took place. And the primary focus of the consultation was the Ansar. Because you see the Ansar, when they were in, uh, when they came for Hajj and pledged allegiance to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa referring to the Bay'atul Aqaba that had taken place a few years earlier on, their pledge of allegiance to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is that we will look after you. We will take care of you, we will look after you. To a point we will look after you like how we look after our women, our children, our property, we'll defend you and look after you. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was acutely aware that that promise and that vow that they had taken was in the vicinity of Madinatul Munawwara. It was not outside. Badr is outside. The direct benefactors of the caravan is intended to be the muhajirun. So his consultation was them was this that you know what the promise and the pledge that we had now concluded had certain limitations and expectations. If you are willing to join us on the campaign, alhamdulillah. But if not, nothing will be held against you. 
Now what does this tell us about the, the method that Rasulullah approached even his sahaba radiallahu anhum, who he knew and the world today knows in the response of the leader of the sahaba radiallahu anhum of Medina, who say that we will be prepared to jump in the ocean. In another narration, ila barqil ghimar. Barqil ghimar is a mountain towards the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula. The equivalent of that would be Timbuktu, like where a person says, I'm able to, I will march with you till Timbuktu. What does that mean? Barqul Ghimad in those days, Timbuktu today. I, I'm prepared to march with you right till Timbuktu, means that I am in it, I've thrown in my lot with you, I'm not going to back down, I am supporting you all the way 100%. So he consulted with the Sahaba radiallahu anhu to a point that the leadership of the Ansar already got the message that he is now feeling for us. He's feeling for us. That will we join him? Will we? Maybe not. I mean, we, we had liberty not to join him. And they interrupt Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He tells Rasulullah sallallahu then and there. And even supported by Sa'ad bin Waz later on. He tells him then and there, O Messenger of Allah. You march us wherever we want, you, you wherever you want. You tell us whatever you want to tell us and go in whatever direction. Wallahi, you tell us to jump in the sea, we'll jump in the sea for you. And we will join you. And Rasulullah showers them with du'as. And he later remembers this du'a when? When there was a complaint by some of the, uh, of the Ansar, the younger ones, that maybe the distribution of, of the spoils of war not taking place properly. And Rasulullah summons them in a tent. This is many years later. He reiterates the favor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created of the Ansar that they extended to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he makes dua Allahumma gfir lil ansar oh Allah forgive the ansar wali abanai ansar and the sons of the ansar the children of the ansar and the children of the children of the ansar as well so this was the prelude or the day before of, or the days before of Badr as for Abu Sufyan, so ready to Makkatul Mukarramah. And he raises this army. Makkah was an ever ready prepared place. It was a strategic location anyway. And 1,000 soldiers of Makkatul Mukarramah armed to the teeth. The kuffar, the disbelievers of Makkatul Mukarramah. Remember for those listening, Makkah is not in Muslim control or under Muslim banner at that point in time in his history. They leave Makkatul Mukarramah and they meet the Sahaba radiallahu anhum on the plains of Badr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of that event. You all were only 313. You all were ill-equipped. Your intention was something else. The, 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 the caravan that you anticipated was now gone. You are, as far as your position is concerned, Al-Udwa, you are the lower ground. These people, Quswa, they are the higher ground. What is meant that a battlefield in those days had strategic locations. Because the Kuffar came there first, they occupied the strategic locations of Badr. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum immediately were now concerned. This was the first or the eve of the first battle taking place between Haq and Batil on such a grand scale in the history of this Ummah under the leadership of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The night before, which coincides with the 16th day, 17th night of Ramadan, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is in a tent. 
referred to as a small type of a tent like an Aish. In one narration, Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, seeing to him putting a shawl on his shoulders to keep him warm. But oh Allah, if you destroy these people today, there will be nobody to take your name till the day of Qiyamah. Remember you, nobody to, to make your dhikr, nobody to now falsify the idols of the day. There will be nobody except these people over here. So Allah grant us victory. Look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala consoled them in this dunya, in this world. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? We send down alpha, a thousand of the malaika. That's number one. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we extended to you a number of other worldly benefits that you saw immediately. It started to rain. And you know, they were concerned. There was no water for the Sahaba radiallahu anhum as the wells of Badr had been occupied by the Kuffar. Allah Ta'ala made it rain. They were able to quench their thirst and make wudu. The ground that they were concerned about, it was advantageous to these people because they're coming from the higher ground. That type of equilibrium panned out because their feet became firm in the slightly muddier sludge as it hardened in the early morning after the rain. Think of a little bit type of a lime and cement, how it now solidified. The, the feet of the animals and the, uh, you know, and the feet of the people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says one thing, we gave you a nuas, a sort of slumber, a sort of sleep, that you were completely awake, but you were in such a state, a state of calm, a state of comfort, that the palpitations of the heart that would now go up and down, up and down inside your chest, disappeared. It was no longer there. You were in a state of absolute comfort. It seems that you are walking and living in a different dimension. You know what this is? This is the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unto the mu'mineen, which is not exclusive to the Sahaba radiallahu anhu in Badr, but will come to every believer, every mujahid in the path of Allah, every person giving sadaqah in the path of Allah, everybody standing up for truth in the path of Allah, every believer with the correct yaqeen will also be a recipient of these direct worldly benefits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that nobody can explain. You are calm in the face of such adversity. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of a great favor. Later on, few ayats after this particular discussion. You know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did? He put love and ulfa and affection amongst your hearts. And he tells them, oh Nabi of Allah, you see this, 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 this cohesion that is existing in the ummah today, in the time of Badr, referring to them, referring to Badr. You see this cohesion. Lo and fakta, if you had to spend all the wealth of the world, you would have not been able to create the love, the muhabba, and this level of cohesion that I, but, but Allah, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, allafa bayna qulubihim. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates such muhabba amongst the people. A lesson which is not reserved for that time. But even now, that people wish to spend money and hope for, and hope that because I'm spending my money, my child will love me more, the people will love me more, my staff will love me more. It doesn't work like that. You see that ulfa, yes, they may love your pocket more. They may love your pocket more, they may love your checkbook more. We don't have checks in South Africa anymore. They may love your, 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 your plastic more, your credit card more. They may love your EFT account more and your facilities more. They may not necessarily love you. That ulfa and that love is only from Allah. And that love that I'm referring to, that ulfa, that allafa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically says, we created it and what was the basis of that love? 
their obedience to the Nabi of Allah, their willingness to be where they were, even though there was no guarantee that any one of them are going to live another day. Martyrdom could have become their lot, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them yaqeen and the reward of that entire scenario was alafa bayna qulubihim, that we created ulfa and love between their hearts. Much could be spoken about the ayat of Surah Anfal and other places also that speak about the sequence of the battle of Badr. Not just the battle itself, but after the battle, what to do with the prisoners? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want from them? What was eventually the outcome, the wisdom of Rasulullah in a time wherein the, the written word was hardly used in that part of no much value for reading and writing at all. But one of the clauses if a person could not afford that ransom, but he knew how to read and write, what was one of the clauses or one of the ways that he could become free as a prisoner of Badr? I'm talking about the disbelievers, the 70 disbelievers, that if he could not afford the ransom, and if he was proficient in reading and writing, educate 10 of the youngsters, the youth of Medina to Munawwara, and when they become proficient in their, you know, in, the, in their writing and reading, they will, he will now be free. That investment in education, groundbreaking. Where was it at a time, in that particular period of time, people would either take your money or take your life, one of the two. That's how medieval culture was. But Rasulullah and the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, although the world around them was medieval, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and, and Rasulullah was not anywhere where the world was. They were in Khairul Qurun. They were in the best of generations. Showing examples that it is possible that a person could secure some leverage for themselves, not simply because of their wealth, or their family contacts and lineage, but because of maybe they learned a skill or learned something, and they're willing to impart it to a person, equating wealth and the learning man and the ac beneficial academics, of course, equating it on a particular platform, which was evident when? In the post-after Badr scenario. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq to benefit from these lessons. More important, alhamdulillah, for those of us who have gathered, alhamdulillah, we are in the approaching the middle 10 days of the month of Ramadan. And as a Muslim ummah, as a Muslim community, let us be an example for the rest of humanity in this month of Ramadan and outside this month of Ramadan as well. Yes, as we approach the last 10 days and get closer to that, people are going to come to the masjid, which is a good thing. So people are going to come to the masjid. Those that are used to the masjid, those that are not used to the masjid environment. There will be those who will come with absolute adab. There will be those who don't come with the necessary adab. With hikmah, with wisdom, talk to them. With hikmah, with wisdom, bring them in. If they've made a mistake, there's no need to chastise them in public. But bring them into the circle so that after the month of Ramadan, they see the masjid as more than my home. They see the masjid as a place where I'm comfortable around such people who I have my best interests at heart. That Sahabi was a Bedouin who came to the Masjid and Nabawi and he now urinated in the corner. What was the reaction of Rasulullah? Mahdah, leave him. We'll pour water on the thing later on. Don't disturb him for a number of reasons, but don't disturb him later on calling him that these masajid of ours do not tolerate such type of uh, you know, activities. It is for the dhikr of Allah, it is for salah. And after that, he becomes attached to the masjid. He learns, which he did not know before. So all types of people will come, those who know, those who don't know, young and old, especially young. 
And yes, whilst every person should learn the adab and the etiquette of the masjid, who's going to be the teacher? We, all of us, the teachers, the teachers are sitting right here. Not the Maulana, not the Mufti Sahab, not the person who comes on radio or otherwise for that. Every one of us are responsible as being the Mu'allim and the teacher of khair and good with hikmah and with wisdom to solidify and to, and to strengthen the community. And it's not a time and a period of breaking the community. Our neighbors around, and already from now already, we should be courteous and kind to them. An example of Islam is how you park your car. Nobody cares what you do inside here, whether you're reading Tajjud or whether you are now here for Salat or Tasbih. But they see you in the parking lot. They see you outside. They see you in the shopping mall. They see you quarreling and talking to the cashier. They see you at the, at the counter in front of a bank demanding what you claim to be your rights and the way you talk to people at that point in time. They see that. The impression of deen is what they see outside there, not here. Your salatu tasbih is, is blind to them and you are blind to them at that point in time because it's done in the privacy of your home. Not to say you mustn't read it, you must read it. But note very well that they can't see what they do see. They see your character. They see your akhlaq. That's what they see. So if Ramadan, a time wherein the shayateen are chained up and you can't blame them, except your own self, you can't blame them, you can't blame the devils any longer. So as a result, a Muslim shows a community character in the month of Ramadan because that is a form of da'wah and invitation all on its own.